Hi, I'm Maureen Spielman, and this is Mystical Sisterhood. I'm a soul care coach and lifelong learner committed to creating conscious conversations around joy and healing. Each week, I'll host healers, intuitives, and other courageous women doing the necessary work of reclaiming our worthiness, honoring our intuition, and letting the light in so we can more clearly see the light in others and ourselves. My intention is to plant the seeds that lead to insights and revelations for you, the listener. Please join me in building this global magical sisterhood. And thanks for being here. Hi, welcome back to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman. And I'm so excited today to be sitting here with Terry Potter. Terry is a dear friend whom I met in Dr. Shafali's Conscious Parenting Institute. And Terry is a trauma-informed certified therapeutic coach hailing from the UK where she lives with her husband and son. And Terry is a deeply committed coach supporting individuals, families, children in their quest on this path to wholeness and authenticity and stepping into who they're truly meant to be here. So today's topic is talking about our kids, talking about kids now in the time that we sit here in 2023, um, the challenges that are out there, uh, the the environments that are being called to be created um, for them to learn and grow and thrive. And that same for us as their caregivers, as their parents, as their mothers. So that's what we're kind of setting the stage for today. And I want to say about Terry as well, that she's informed in many different teaching styles and modalities and, and methodologies. And um, starting with Dr. Shafali's going on to studying with Dr. Gabor Mate, and he does so much work about trauma and trauma-informed um, therapists and coaches in his method of conscious inquiry, um, internal family systems with Dr. Richard Schwartz and Tara Brock of Radical Compassion and Eckhart Tolle. So you count many amongst your teachers, Terry, but I welcome you here as also a beautiful teacher because of your lived experiences and and everything that's occurred for you in your life and every certification certification you've done, but how it's alchemized you into the person and the coach you are now and the mother you are. So welcome. And um, I'd like you to just say hi and whatever, you know, you would want to follow up with there to begin. Wow, thank you. Wow, that what, what an introduction. <laughs> uh, that was beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, it made me reflect a little, actually, as I was hearing you talk about all of that. And um, I'm excited for this conversation that we're going to have. And I'm just really um, so overjoyed to be here. You and I began this conversation a year or two ago, I think, that we're going to continue today um, about the young people in our lives and, and in the world. Um, and absolutely, thank you. I mean, all of those certifications really, in the end, none of them would have occurred. But for the one teacher that um, isn't in my bio, actually, is, I've written about him everywhere else, but my young person, Eden, um, who really got me on this path in the first place, um, 
kind of nailed me to the wall in terms of uh, learning the lessons on the fly um and now is my greatest ally in this world mm-hmm. um i'm just super happy to be here thank you yeah. Maureen. yes and i just um thank you for sharing and just this idea even when you and i stepped into our first kind of spaces together and really just got down to conscious conversations and the conversations that were that we were wanting to have but we knew based on what was appearing in our worlds, like what was happening for us, that it just required us to kind of study and open up new ways of seeing things, seeing the world. So, I mean, maybe we can dive in right there. I think that you had um, said that let's just talk about the children who are in front of us and they're, they've arrived with sensitivities with behaviors, demeanors you had you had noted with me. And so they're here for us and they're here for our growth and transformation, but this is the work you do. So what? where do you start with that? Yeah, I mean, you just, you hit the nail on the head, right? We started this conversation and we learned all of this stuff because first and foremost for me, I needed to just show up. I needed to show up and understand how to be around Uh, my child, how to be in this world, um, uh, which was seemingly so, so different than one that I, you know, had been aware of before. And and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of expectation in that, in that last line that I used there. And and that's something that I've learned to, to, um, to have less of, (laughs) I'd like to say let go of, I'm still in a work in progress, but I've come a long way. Um, You know, the young people we're talking about, I mean, specifically today, I, and maybe I need to be a little bit more black, um, open and black and white about it. My son was diagnosed autistic, um, age seven years old, um, and at 15. Now he's been through every roller coaster that I could ever have um, tried for him not to have gone on. Um, you know, his journey is one that he's very okay with me talking about because um, he feels now he's gone through what he has in order for me to be able to help and for order, order for him to be able to help others. He's still very young. So at the moment, I'm the person fronting all of this. But, um, but you know, he he was diagnosed autistic. He had a lot of school trauma, um, a lot of behaviours that I had to get my head around and understand um difficulties with communication his anxiety got so great um at seven he didn't want to be here anymore um and uh, he was attempting to do something about that and to be told that you have a suicidal seven-year-old is is quite something you don't expect um I didn't even think it it was possible I'll be honest and then again at 12 um simply because the environment the setting that he found himself in was just not sympathetic it was not understanding regardless of how hard we tried to put the right thing in the right you know um put him in the right places um often it's just like you know subtleties that weren't that weren't working so um we've we've come a long way i began um doing the conscious parent training uh, when he was 12 years old um, because we didn't know what else to do um, and you know we were in a catastrophic situation and then um, 
once we began to do the work, that work, my husband and I on ourselves, um, and we turned everything around in our home really quickly, you know, I mean, the work's ongoing, right? But it was like the differences that we explored and experienced just by doing the things that Dr. Shafali um, recommends um, in her work, Conscious Parenting. Just, you know, so many little subtle, subtle things. All of a sudden we got a child back and it, it was really, really incredible. So we were making huge progress. So at the end of all of that, um, and don't get me wrong, that wasn't about curing his behaviours. It wasn't about trying to get him to do anything differently, but it was about letting go of expectations. It was about acceptance. It was about looking at what's coming up for us in each and every moment um, and being able to show up with him without an agenda um without some fixing energy but just with an openness and a and a lot of listening and a lot of stillness so it made sense from that point to retrain um I went from garden designer to conscious parenting coach in the course of a couple of years (laughs) yeah (laughs) wow yeah uh yeah but um We'd relocated. It wasn't so bad. I'd left all my clients behind anyway. So, um, so yeah, that that's pretty much um, where we started from. And that my, you know, we're talking about these these young people um, who are, you know, they they're, they're labelled highly sensitive. They're labelled autistic. They're labelled ADHD. Um, that hold us to account in every moment, you know, and how they're. Um, I mean, Gabo Mate talks about autism for example is he's got his own views on on what that is and where it's come from and I don't dispute them at all but um his quote is that autism is the child of social disconnection and that to comprehend what's happening to the brains of children that we need to look at um what's happened to the child rearing milieu over the last few decades I get that right because what he's basically saying is our kids should be raised by a tribe and you know the every adult should be responsible for every child and it makes perfect sense that in this day and age where we all go into our homes and then we close our doors and we're our little nuclear family of three or four or even five you know the kids the wiring and their their brains is kind of developed to, in such a way that um it doesn't need the social connection anymore yeah. so that it doesn't it isn't able to to make those connections you know that, so that's his theory mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean it is inevitable that our neural pathways would adapt over time but you know but he's my mentor and he's been my teacher for what two years now um and I understand informed just how exactly that makes perfect sense and yet at the same time I'm also a parent of one of these children right yeah um yeah. And as a parent to such a child, my experience is really personal. It's directly and personally informed. And I know that there's way more happening here than in the formlessness as well as the form. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I hear you saying, Terry, you're, you're just these parts of your journey and how maybe at one point in time, it seemed almost like out of your hands and you're you escorting your child through the institution through the system through being labeled through but not really yet having the tools to be able to understand it and kind of know that 
when we learn maybe even a few beginning things, we can really start to turn the tide of the type of interactions that are occurring in our homes. And um, I'm wondering, you know, what were some of those things when you first said, oh my gosh, this is an epiphany, the things I'm learning. And, you know, what were some of the just even simpler, like what we see as simpler, but we know they're profound changes. Yeah, I, yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's uh, the things that I, they're always the first things that sort of tumble out of my mouth when I'm coaching nowadays is uh, when we start, um, I wonder what it would be like if you um, were able to sort of approach your child and just be there. Um, you know, I walked around when I first learned that one, it was tough. I thought, can I do this? Uh, and I had to then come face to face with all the voices in my head that were telling me, I wonder how he is. I wonder if he's had a good day. I wonder if he's upset about something. I wonder if, I wonder if he's done his homework. I wonder if he's, I wonder if he's hurt himself today because we were, we were going through that at, at the time. Um, so I learned to do, uh, you know, I think it was Shafali suggested just before you walk in the door, just be, you know, zip your mouth, walk in with your mouth shut. And I wonder what it would be like to just sit down alongside your child no agenda no agenda right if he's if he's sitting there looking at his phone maybe I can look at my phone for a bit I'm just sitting right I'm just sitting or maybe if he's playing a game oh maybe I play a game and maybe then you know it's some some little synergies would occur um so yeah that was huge because it took a long time for him to realize that I had no agenda of course I had an agenda in my heart and in my yes. head <gasps> I so needed to know what was going on in his life. I just couldn't like, oh. um, but I had to take myself out and sit with that or journal about it or write about it or phone a friend, you know, <laughs> phone a friend and just vent um, or ring the teacher, even ask the teacher what's going on. I really needed to know what happened at school that day. Um, but yeah, my child was one that just wouldn't speak. Um, there's selective mutism, never, ever would he, he doesn't, he rarely tells me now what's going on in his day, but he's much more open than he was. But before he could have the most extraordinary of days. I remember one day he was at school and um, I was at an open evening. The teacher said, oh, it was incredible to see him the other day. He was, he was, he had the fireman's hose. We had the fire engine and he'd sprayed the whole, the whole, um, schoolyard and and then he got this certificate for uh for getting a an a star and whatever it was and i'm like you know he was six years old and i'm like what <laughs> this happened when <laughs> you know he brought this prize home and hadn't he hadn't given it to us he hadn't told us about this fire engine i mean it was just kind of crazy stuff right all the other kids were talking about it and he wouldn't tell us anything so i learned to zip it because my kid really needed me to shut up um mm-hmm. He wasn't going to talk to me because there wasn't space for him, really. So that was the first thing. Yeah. So uh, Ter- Terry, that's that's a huge. <laughs> I can hear you. It's a huge first thing to yeah. be able to, even if you have the internal agenda, which you're working on all the time, noticing the fears that you might be bringing in, any sort of projections onto him, and to be able to back up and just be in silence. It it's it it. it what I'm hearing you say is it created an energetic shift within the relationship. And also I always think of that quality of safety. So for, 
you know, him to be able to know that he was being held in a safe space, not having things come at him. Um, also that idea of selective mutism, because I think that whether it is selective mutism or even I hear parents say all the time, just a very quiet child who doesn't really say much that that's okay. I always feel like, yeah, we want information in the here and now, but I remind myself that is that while we're creating these, the safety in the container, it is a season we will pass through and come to the next season where more is able to bloom. That's what it feels like. Yeah. And what seems like a question to us as adults is a, is an interrogation to the child, right? It really is. And, um, you know, some things they just, and they're not ready to talk until they're ready to talk. So, yeah, also, I I know that my child, and he's reflected this to me many times now, is that when I'm able to sit with him, and particularly back then, and just sit with him, he feels so valued because I just want to hang out, right? I just want to be with, right? Mm-hmm. I remember when the kids were small, there being this uh, playful parenting um, when it first sort of got talked about. Um, I remember them saying five minutes of play one to one without any interruptions. You don't look away. You, you know, if your phone rings, you don't answer it. Just five minutes is going to buy you three hours with mm-hmm. your child, with your in terms of um, how they're regulated. That's just co-regulation. Right. So. We kind of forget that when they get to be young people, I think, sometimes. Um, and I'm really witnessing the fear factor in a lot of people when um, when they become adolescent. There's a lot of fear in us, you know, um, as, as to how we're going to be met or understood or overlooked, <laughs> um, not heard. Um, misinterpreted you know it's it's there's a lot of fear out there Um, and we're talking about all of our young people I think the reason that um, these uh, this particular demographic of this highly sensitive child and um, is I keep using the expression nailing us to the wall because it's it's almost like uh, they've come here to bring word for all of the young people and all of the children, here's what needs to change because it's not the education system isn't just not working for these kids, but these kids are shouting loud about it. These kids are catastrophizing, but it's for real, right? They really, really, really can't do it. There's a lot of lot of kids that are behaving very, very well, going under the radar, enabling this system in a way, you know. Um, because, because they're just showing up as they're told to. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, uh, reflecting on that, that idea of the change that's being called for directly from our children. And so you're telling me that, Hey, just sitting down with, we don't even have to quantify the time. It doesn't, it's really the essence of the the quality of the time we spend with them, but that they're almost, I was thinking about it they're guiding us. Like, I think the old paradigm was that either your parents are absolutely there to guide you. Now I think of that differently, like that we're, we're each other's guides and we're Mm -hmm. to kind of advance ourselves, but also with the idea 
of institutions. I think that schools, like we've always put all of our power in the institution, the school to know how to guide, but times have changed so much. And um, there's just, there's the call for change. And so we've always said out of the mouths of babes, but have we truly listened to it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah, absolutely. If we're, if we're really going to like attune to the essence of a human being, wh- how more so than by hearing a child, by really attuning. That was the other one, you know, and um, when you ask about what are the key things, you know, I think attunement was the word that I, um, Dr. Shafali held me to account about. So what does that mean, Terry? Tell me what attunement is. And um that idea that we could perceive for a moment what the world's looking like through our child's eyes. You know, if we sit with that young person, we just observe them, just with real curiosity. I mean, the, the definition of love, right, is an attempt at understanding. Yeah. The definition of love is an attempt at understanding. So let's attempt to understand. How can we understand without curiosity? Let's get really curious. I wonder what's going on for him today. I wonder what I look like through his eyes. I wonder if I walk into that room right now, what he's going to see. Hang on, let me just check myself, right? Let me sit in his seat. Let's do a bit of gestalt therapy. Let me just sit in his seat, see me coming. Oh, you know, sometimes I'm so guarded or um, preoccupied or, or I've got a list of questions, you know, can't help myself. Now, even with all this training, and all this time focused on the subject, it's so instinctive because it's how we grew up. It's what it's what the generations that preceded us um, only knew how to do. No, nobody's to blame here, right? It's just the way of it. So, yeah, that attunement is the is the other part of this. And so you're talking about it as with the bigger picture, that idea of attuning to what it is these young people that are so who are so close to their essence in their in their childhood and even in adolescence they've still got they're still so much closer than we are yeah. there's so much that we need to learn so much we need to tune into and listen to right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that uh for them to truly be seen for who they are when you're talking mm-hmm. i'm thinking about how our definition of whether we called it success or thriving, it was really narrow and Mm -hmm. the margins are opening up really wide where I think the, the children, the kids, the teens who were marginalized are being invited to be with the the whole collective. Like we're all together, this true uh, diversified sort of collective. Um, So that means we have a lot of work as adults too open up our worldview of who's included, (laughs) who's included in the success, who's included in the thriving, who's it's, it's for us all. Right. And, and I think as well, well, we've got the resources and the wisdom to get beneath them um, and support them in what they're creating because they are creating unknowingly, they're creating something which is so spacious, so diverse um so much possibility here the collective of our young people today are so supportive they don't even see it as supportive supportive is not even the right word because it just is that way right you have a young person who's gender diverse you have a young person um 
whose sexuality differs from from the next there is zero judgment there's this it's just the way of it my mm. son said to me recently um he said i just i just wish that there wasn't such a thing as gender and i wish that everybody could just know each other's essence i think he used the word spark and you know instead of essence because that's probably the word my more my language but but I thought, wow, and I said, you know, then it wouldn't matter who you showed up as each day, right? You, you show up as whoever you felt like being. You could be masculine, you could be feminine, you could be nothing, you could be everything. Um, and this is what our young people are doing. They're doing this today. They're doing this in so many different ways. So, I mean, I think um, the way I look at it, I mean, I was just, I've got a quote here, so I'm looking to my left because I've got a quote here that sort of seems a bit relevant now. There's, um, there's, an organization called Pause for Kids. Um, it's uh, it, she's a fa- the founder of that program is Kerry Bowers, and she's the mom to Taylor Cross, who's very much part of this organization. They talk about when we celebrate possibilities in autism, and there's a reason I'm honing in with autism at the moment. But um, the intention isn't to divide the community. Your child is is a light. Your child has something to contribute. Their mere existence is a light, even if the challenges and pain are significant. Parents need to refrain from placing their own perceptions and limitations on their children. They need to process their own shame, guilt, and fear. So while I would go beyond that, and I would say that these young people are like beacons of light, actually, and they're actually guiding us home. I think they're turning the world upside down. I think they're debunking all the institutions. Um, They're only beginning with this, fabled institution of parenting right which is the one that we're we're trying to transform right now um but as their caregivers i mean look at all the ways that we're forced to grow and to change i i wanted to um i mean i've got a few different quotes here but i i wanted to talk a little bit though about the the transformation in us as a result of all of this um is also equally phenomenal because, well, it's exactly what you're saying. If we can become a cushion beneath them and provide them this platform, it's hard for them. But without even knowing it, unconsciously, they are all coming together and they're creating this expansive new world um, of understanding and largely acceptance. Mm -hmm. They've got a battle on their hands. They're going to war, these kids. There's no two ways about it. So with our wisdom and our understanding, I wonder if we can help to underpin that with education. Because even as a mom of a young person who's on a gender journey, who's autistic, I continue to educate myself um, daily about the things that I don't understand. I continue to look my own prejudices in the eye that I didn't even know existed that stemmed from wherever I've come from, generations and generations of thinking and being a, a certain way. And um, I wonder, you know, how much we, I love this mystical sisterhood because this is bringing together people who are all really not just thinking about these things, but they're stepping into this space of um, spacious awareness, right? Of consciousness of like, okay, what do we need to be here? How do we need to show up here? We don't know what this is. 
So, so what's being asked of us and how can we bring it? And let's all be in it together. This sisterhood is phenomenal I love because that, that's yeah. so powerful. Mm-hmm. Because uh, yeah. whether, whether it's one person, I think it's when more than two people come together, there's a third, right? Synergistic effect. I mean, it's just like there's, there's someone else in the room. When there's two, there's three. It's just, do you know what I mean with the energy? And what we can do in a community like this is, is otherworldly. Absolutely. It's, it's otherworldly. It's exponential. And um, yeah, I'm soaking in everything you're sharing about your journey and, and the, the hardships that the kids face. And I, what I'm thinking of right now is when children are working through, you know, being accepted their own self-acceptance and whatever is showing up for them we can begin to work with parents and i want to i want to talk a little bit more about that too but also we're often sending our kids into like let's say you know the schools let's take and we can foster the environment in the home and really start to work on that but what's been your experience with working with schools or what what are the beginning changes that are where I'm not talking about the schools that are, you know, specialized to meet the modern day child, but the schools that are the public schools or the, that are, that haven't changed a lot. They might be bringing in more programming or social emotional, but we know when you talk, I sense that it's not about how do we fix it and how do we, you know, approach it from the top down, but how do we approach it systemically from the inside out. And so what have you seen as possibilities in that realm for our kids within even our school systems? I know you're in England, but I think that we probably mirror a lot of things that, you know, I have here in the U.S. Agreed. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. And I think, um, well, if you'd asked me that a few years ago, I wouldn't have known how to answer that question. It's taken a lot for me to actually breathe my way through the mm-hmm. education system. My child has been pretty catastrophic at times. I've, I, you know, a lot of my friends and a lot of my son's friends, parents have just been, um, well, my goodness, I can't even begin to tell you some of the journeys they've been on. And um, it's, it's not a very supportive institution education right now um however there's a huge grassroots movement of um you know well i mean from homeschooling to unschooling but more importantly than that um people going into education and re-educating re-educating the institution now um my my son is now eventually in a specialist setting and it was it was much needed um that specialist setting you know what's specialist about it Shall I tell you what's specialist about it? Honestly, aside from everything else, nothing else matters. They're trauma-informed. Now, trauma-informed today is a tagline that people have started to get all excited about in the last couple of years. Gabor Mate has become a bit of a rock star, you know, talking about all the trauma work, and rightly so, phenomenal work, because it informs people as to how to be around these young people. Every young person, actually, But here we go. Our kids are pioneers. So, um, you know, they go before everybody else um, and they they see that whether they're highly sensitive, of course, they're going to be traumatized by things that might just pass another child by um, or they might just be a a good kid that's not going to say they're traumatized. However, this work is all about acknowledging the spirit, the essence of a person 
It's about listening. It's about attuning. It's everything we learned in conscious parenting. Yeah. It's the same. You know what? You're meeting human beings. You're meeting the essence of a human being. You're stopping. You're looking at them. You're attuning to them. You're listening. And you're compassionate. Really, there's lots of tools and tricks to learn in amongst all of that, because that doesn't sound like very much, but it's everything. If we can bring that to the education system, we can say what's working, what's not working, stop ticking boxes and actually just begin to understand um, the trauma work. Um, Those children are getting traumatized day in, day out. We did as kids, you know. So, I mean, everybody's a bit more gentle these days, even with the best of pastoral care, these kids just are being rushed from one thing to the next, being overloaded with homework, being expected to show up on time, be quick, be quick, be quick. You know, what what about, what if it was open? What if it was a bit more spacious? That's the word that keeps coming to me. Mm -hmm. People had to breathe and to be and to notice. I don't feel so good in this situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Terry, so many important comments there. When you talk about trauma informed, I've, you know, you've learned through Gabar Mate and several other teachers, but when I think of trauma, you know, the old, the old definition was that something really big and catastrophic happened in your life. And I want you to talk about that, just how that's not a a definition strictly anymore. But it also, when you talk about honoring the child that's in front of you, it's just like we are learning to honor one another in our adult form is that you come to me and Terry's not just Terry in front of me in this moment. Terry's been informed by every single moment of her life. And I honor that. And that's the Terry that's coming to me right now. And that's what it says about just what you're talking about trauma, like you're really honoring the child in front of you for all of their, all of their experiences, all of, and you're holding them in such a gentle and compassionate way. Yeah. And isn't that every human being's God given right to be received like that? It's just truth. And when when it's truth, you know, it's not a belief, you're not, you know, all of these different techniques and ideas and ways of parenting and ways of teaching and, you know, I believe or I've learned or I, well, what do you know to be true? Let's go with what we know. Let's trust this instinct. This is not an instinct, belief instinct. Let's trust on knowing what's, what's coming up, but we have to be still for long enough to know, to feel to hear it, that voice. And it might not be a voice, it might just be a, a sensation of feeling. Mm-hmm. You see, we're so squashed. We're squashed in teacher land. We're squashed in parenting land. Everybody's so busy, busy, busy that there is no room. So when I say to people, what about? I wonder what it would be like if you just sat down next to your child and just, I don't have time for that. I've got to cook dinner. I've got to do the washing. I've got to, I know, I know, I know. I've been there. I know. I understand. Mm-hmm. I understand. And I wonder what would happen if, you sat down with the child and just, I just want you to go there in your head, you know, just wonder. Because when you realize, when you know, because I think any one of us could do that exercise and just sit and close our eyes and say, I can imagine I'm sitting down next to my child and not speaking. And imagine sitting there for five minutes. Just imagine there's a knowing that comes up that this is the right place for me to be. 
you know so yeah. you don't even have to do it together in your head you know well <laughs> time <laughs> I think you too I love listening to the conversation right here at hand because it's so incredibly calming and the work that you just described in that parent scenario of a parent saying oh no I got to get up I got to do this it almost feels like that's that's our nervous system calling to be calmed and to be reassured that all is well, even when we stop, we can. And and then the conscious parenting work is so special to me because in so many ways, it's allowed me with what at first may have felt like a threat of looking at myself in the way that I showed up. It became the more I was willing to look at myself and guide my husband too into looking at ourselves and the way we were showing up. I think the things that felt threatening about it or that were going to make me wrong or that I hadn't done this for so many years and therefore that was wrong. When I started to allow it in, it became more of a compassionate mirror for myself. So it was a place that I learned and grew. And I think that that's what I hear from the container you're building within your own home, but then in your coaching sessions, it's just like this really soft, it's almost these new qualities that are being called for right. now, right? Just in uh, on earth in general, we're, we're being called to more kindness, compassion, softness, expansion, spaciousness. I mean, we're using all these words, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of shift and transformation occurring within them. In the in the kindest way, isn't it beautiful? Because mm-hmm. we're we're cushioning everything, so nothing hurts, right? It doesn't hurt. I think uh, one of the most liberating things that happened to me when I understood conscious parenting was when I look back at all the things that you could um, you could label as having done wrong, right? Oh my God, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I'd done, you know. And I look at the younger people now coming into conscious parenting as parents and starting with their babies. I'm like, oh wow all that time I missed you know however what I understood um is everybody's exactly where they're supposed to be and when you kind of get your head around the fact that no you know nobody could have done any better everybody showed up the very very best that they could with the tools that they had at the time so how can we have any regrets how can any parent have any regret? Every parent loves their child. If they're just, if they're unable to connect to that love, that's not their fault. That's not their fault. That's where they are right now. So what's the best way around this for this time? And how can we help mom? And how can we help dad? Because, you know, right now, they're really got their own stuff going on. And this is this is real life. And this is how it was meant to be. Everybody's got their own sovereign journey. We show up on this planet to be how we are in every single moment. So rather than say, oh, I wish it could have been different, let's not waste that energy. Let's attune to, hey, this is where we are. I can see how much you love your kid. I can see how tired you are right now. I wonder what we can do to to you know to work with what yeah. we got here. Yeah. For everybody, kindly, mm-hmm. zero judgment everywhere. That was really freeing for me because I suddenly thought I don't have to carry this guilt anymore. Yeah. I had so much parent guilt mother guilt oh yeah and uh and it was up right and I always had so much anger towards my family of origin as well and and again when you understand that everybody's doing the best they can at every given moment then oh yeah 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree with you. I was I was in that guilt for a long time too, uh, questioning everything and having a lot of anger and resentment. But that was also pointing to me to what I was being called to heal within me and within those relationships. And I think that the our kids are really calling for us to trust them. And so many of us were led away from what we really knew to be true, that it is our honor and privilege to be able to know that we can help kids younger and younger stay close to their intuition, stay close to their knowing, use their voice to express their deep needs, wants, and desires, because so many in our generation and what came before us, we simply weren't really given that space. Yeah, yeah, we were terrified of big feelings, right? That was one of my biggest lessons was I had to learn for myself. Why was I so afraid that my child was so upset, that my child was so in so much pain? Why was that sending me into fight flight? You know, uh, I, I am needing desperately to fix them. When, you know, when I really broke that down, um, I realized how absolutely terrified I was of having big feelings myself and what that would have meant. You know, there was nobody to hear them. So as a child, then you just think, I'm almost I'm going to disappear because I've got these big feelings and everyone's looking at me like you shouldn't have them. Yeah. You know, there's nowhere for you to go as a child. So you're just left with this trauma response. That's it. So now I can sit with my child and he's upset and I say, hey, yeah, I can see it's a tricky day. That sucks. OK, well, I'm here. If you need me, I'm here. I'm not smothering. I'm not sticky. I'm just I'm around if you need me. You know, rather than, okay, I'm going to go and sort this out or, you know, um, yeah, whatever it was I was doing, I was a big fixer. <laughs> yeah. I, and my, I think around strong emotions, ooh, I used to be really uncomfortable around strong emotions. And it's still a part of me that I walk through that is still, uh, I have to talk to myself actively when it's occurring and be with myself to say like, it's okay, you can... You can be in the space and you can support what's happening right in front of you. And at the same time, you know, giving myself um, just really loving language to it's so understandable why you want to flee or you want to leave or you just want to make this stop because I was always suppressed in that way. And so to meet our do you do like do you do work around working with the voices and giving compassionate language for parents to use with themselves you know what I what I really love and I um and I I, I've got so used familiar with it now that I'm I'm noticing that I'm I'm talking about my child and I'm not even really mentioning what I do when I when I step away um I've got some wonderful practices now um there's you know one of the one of the ones that everybody should should know about is rain by tara brock and working through the radical acceptance there um but i tend to do um some work with just noticing what's going on in my body one thing i was taught very early was every day you've got to go and close your bedroom door for as much time as you can muster maybe five minutes 15 minutes an hour if you can for normal every day just be with yourself. And when you're with yourself, it's not doing, it's just being, it's existing, it's noticing, it's feeling into whatever's happening in your body, breathing into it, noticing the sensations, not labeling anything. We don't have to call it anything. We're just feeling. 
you know, it's really all about getting better at feeling and being with the feelings, carrying the feelings and knowing that they're not going to eat us up, knowing that they're not going to swallow us whole. Getting comfortable with the feelings is the most important factor for me because once I learned that I could actually ride those waves and they weren't going to kill me, I realized I could just do that all the time. Um, and whenever I got into a panic, I could just sit with, breathe, allow, you know, whatever practices allow us to get back to ourselves like that, getting out into nature. And I know we all hear this. I mean, people used to say this. It never went in with me. Get out in nature every day. You know, yoga is really good for you, meditation. But I didn't really understand what meditation was until I made it personal. Yeah. And that making it personal for me is everybody experiences their feelings and emotions differently in their body. I have a real strong sense of the, the vibration, the sensation. And I can just allow myself to drop in to that and just be with that. But you listen to somebody else and their experience might be much more um much more sensory it might be um, much more about listening to sounds or you know noticing something in the room so everybody's got their own way in being in the shower and just being in the shower that was a challenge for me early on when I started this work to feel the water landing nothing more yeah I'm in the shower I'm not in the shower thinking what I'm going to do next I'm like feeling the water landing noticing it on my body just like wow you know yeah little things like it's so beautiful terry i when you say that right there um i'm thinking attunement to yourself yeah right and yes. so we were talking about attuning to our children and taking the time for the exquisite attunement to ourself and so in those spaces, really getting to know your, like you're saying, like what's occurring for me in my body. I, I continue to say that the emo the land of emotions and the work of emotions and why emotions are here for us and how intelligent they are. And, um, really noticing our discomfort with certain, certain emotions, you know, we have this column that are good and this are, that are, and that's kind of conscious parenting 101, but I think it's like, for me as an adult, le learning that, you know, just a few years ago, <laughs> it is life foundations 101. And I, I, and, and I always say that, and I'll say it in every episode is that, Hey, I'm doing this stuff right now. I am working, uh, you know, actively on all of these things. Yeah, absolutely. There's no good or bad. It took me ages to really get my head around that. All emotions are good. All emotions are good. I mean, what about that? We ride a roller coaster and it's all good. Even the down bits where you're screaming your head off. This is, whoa, this is the bit. And then you get to the bottom, you go, oh, I did that. You know, it's it, it's all there for us. The only, um, the view that we have that we're, that we're brought with to, to adulthood from childhood is that if we have these huge, huge feelings, they're going to overwhelm us and we could die. That's the mm -hmm. sense that we have. It's a child's view because the child, at, you know, just born when the parent isn't looking at them and they're, they're having a real meltdown and the parent walks out. I mean, that's the truth for them. They really believe they're going to die. And that's the imprint. And we carry that imprint into adulthood. Yeah. yeah. So just dispelling that myth, 
having a word with Dr. Bagabal Marty calls it our stupid friend, that part of us that defends us and, and protects us when we're, a, when we're a small child and, you know, to, to say don't have big emotions because you might die. Well, then introduce that stupid friend to your 40, 50-year-old self and just say, hey, thanks for being there all this time. I really appreciate you, but how about you take a back seat? There's another job you can do, right? You know, you Absolutely. can be quiet now. Show them, around, mm-hmm. show them around your house. Get them to meet mm-hmm. your kids and mm-hmm. believe that you're the age that you are and that you don't need that protection yeah. anymore. It's so true. Work. It's so true, Terry. And uh, I'm thinking too of your experience with not only your own home, your own family, but the families whom you've worked with is the thing that I want people to know, and I think you can really speak to is when we begin to do the work, when, whether it's with ourselves in tandem with, with our showing up in a new way for our children, change occurs, change occurs right in front of you. Can you speak to that? Because I think that that's a message that's really important for parents to hear that, that this, you've seen this work in action. So what do you see? Um, what I see when a child is heard, whether I'm coaching them or whether it's a child of of my own in my family is that they, they are, hmm, what's the word I'm looking for? They feel valued. And with that sense of value, that sense of self-worth, they become who they are. They don't become who they remember who they are. And when you've got people walking on this planet who remember who they are as human beings, then everybody around them has a different experience, a positive experience of that person. Um, and you know the 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 knock-on effect of that is just forever and ever right um I know that um one particular person I've been working with recently I just got some feedback from mom which was amazing and they said that their child is talking to them again they're you know they're more sort of physical contact there's more just openness you know people just need to be heard there's so much more to this I know I'm simple oversimplifying perhaps but but yes and no um I think we just need to learn a new language the effect of change I mean I there's so much I could talk about here we've got our young people that we began talking about you know that are either on the spectrum or highly sensitive that are going through so many different um journeys that that puts them in the minority you know we've got the disability factor we've got the loneliness the isolation um the sort of being gender non-conforming and um you know all of those things that that stop them from fitting fitting in in the world like a jigsaw piece you know everyone's expected to be the perfect jigsaw piece to fit in in this world and they they just they just aren't and and so the odds of you know the 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 sad sad part about that is the you know the people with these kind of um in these kind of minorities you know i mean the people with asd i think uh is three times the odds are three times higher that they're going to self-harm than than somebody without asd 
um, you know, autistic spectrum. So it's not even ASD now, it's ASC. I apologize. But, um, you know, they're at an increased risk for suicidality and all these behaviors. But we, so when we listen to young people like that, the world's a kinder place. Yeah. Um, they listen to each other. You listen to one person, one person listens to another person. Everybody's paying it forward all the time. So I think the world just continues to to change. You know, mental health problems improve overall. And, you know, this minority stress that's a real thing out there, but it lessens as communities grow and people mm. are hearing each other, respecting each other and valuing each other. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So inspirational. You inspire me so much, Terry. Um, you know, and I think of, I know that we're coming to a close here soon, but you know, you've mentioned here and there, you know, just labels in general. And is there a way that you guide parents to gently hold the label while meeting their child where they where they are? Or is there some work around there that or any kind of words of wisdom? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, I I work a lot with young people that are uh, perhaps on a on a gender journey. The early stages, actually, parents a lot because um, I know when that was first us, it was a, a shocking situation for us to be, and we didn't understand it. We were terrified for our child. Um, but the the diagnoses, um, autism, ADHD, um, all of those um, young people that the, the children um that are gifted these like gifted these labels and I that's an interesting term of phrase but I use it because I remember when Eden was diagnosed at the age of seven um that the man who did it he the psychologist gave me this diagnosis and said this is your golden ticket now at the time I'm like I'm sorry I have no idea what you're talking about but it became obvious that this was your pass you know so it, they, they're important and relevant from the perspective of the way the institutions are set up, we have to be able to go with our ticket and say, I need this, I need this, I need this, but hold it lightly. Yeah. That would be my message to myself going backwards, hold it lightly, because there's so much more than the label. And let's talk about the root cause rather than the symptoms of how our kids are showing up. Yeah. Like why are they so exasperated, frustrated, anxious? Why have they got all of these behaviors that we're all struggling to work with why why because what they require from us is just a different way of showing up and the yeah. word is space yeah. it is spatial tuned yeah thank you for that i i am really enjoying that uh just holding the golden ticket very very lightly very loosely very lightly um and just kind of imparting to to those who might be listening that it's all so worthy of our time and our energy to uh, make space to learn about these ways of being. And, you know, whether we call it conscious parenting, we don't even really need to put a label on it at all. It's just a, a manner of intending to, to form deep connections and lasting ones with our children that will, will not only change their lives, but affect the generations to come. And that, if I found anything is it's a, it's a multi-year uh, lifetime journey that I'm on in creating change and creating the types of relationships I want to experience. And there's no, there's no rush to it. There's no, <laughs> and so I'm holding that lightly too, or just, just so gently and compassionately to know that 
there's not a quick fix, but when we put our energy and intention into it, shifts begin to occur. So that's said there because um the lovely alicia who popped into my head after your podcast the other day i haven't had time to comment but i i i was listening and i i um you know when you talk about time being non-linear it's exactly that because here we are doing this work and the world is changing um eckhart tolle calls it a new earth and here we are showing up doing this mm. work because to do this work is to meet the new the new breed of people that are populating our planet and and we we don't know enough so perhaps we can reframe education as an institution what if we were to overtake education as an institution and begin to talk about all of these things that matter energetically yeah. kindly um in, in terms of supporting the future for for these young people and a future let's also acknowledge that we really don't we really don't know what it's going to look like either so let's not try and be people that are setting our kids up for this phenomenal future when we actually nobody knows what that's going to look like but yeah. so what if we listen what if we listen mm. yeah it's so infused with love possibility and the things that i choose to see falling away are the judgment and the shame that has right. so cloaked everything because the conversations we're having today are to just open up the field of possibilities for for our kids for ourselves and um there's no judgment on what what's occurred in the past it's just we are moving with the times we are not reacting to the times but responding to them and living in a new, very, um, like it's a choice. It, I want to live this way. And mm -hmm. I'm seeing evidence that it is, it is helping with the thriving. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Resistance is futile, right? Resistance is futile. Let's, let's flow. Let's adapt. Let's just be with it all. Let's, he let's hear what they've got to say. And that's not beautiful. Yes. I so, love this conversation. I know it's a beautiful conversation today and in just a beginning, I always love to hear from our listeners what resonated with them. And I have a feeling this is going to be really impactful. So if they want to find you, Terry, um, do you have an online presence, a website? What can you share with our audience so they can look into your work if they'd like to? Yeah, it's real easy. It's terrypotter.com. That's T-E-R-I Potter as in Harry. <laughs> Potter.com. Um, yeah, and all of my details, contact details are there too. Um, and a blog. Feel free to jump on, take a read. All my socials are on there as well. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I'll put it in the notes of the episode today. And I just want to thank you so, so deeply for being here and sharing with us. I, I love the conversation and I uh, can't wait for our next one. I'm so grateful for the opportunity, Maureen. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Mystical Sisterhood. If you like what you heard, please visit iTunes or wherever you listen to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And I'd be so honored if you have time to leave a review. To find out more about my work, visit www.maureenspielman.com and download the five daily practices I can't live without. See you in the next episode.